Now, if you're going to be out there fishing and you're illegally doing it, you should be trying to repent for a crab pot. I'd have to say, if you're going to use a long shank hook, great for whiting, perfect for yabbies, not the best for live bait, such as a herring. Oh, come on, mate. You're joking, aren't you? That's abs- that's, that's rubbish. You know, now put yourself in a fishing line here. Now, that's a catch. That is a quality catch. Well done, champion. Hey everybody, welcome to the Step Outside Podcast. You're listening to Birdie here. What a week around the country. Floods, rain, hail, shine, storms, if you're up in Darwin. Jeez, it's been wet. Uh, hope you're doing well. You may have seen on today's show around the country on 7 Mate, Step Outside, is we targeted um, the Wahoo, one of the world's fastest fish. And I had the company and enjoying this bloke's time out there in the middle of the ocean, Leroy Horton from Shimano, Australia. Good morning to you, mate. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm awesome, Bertie. Good morning to you too. Mate, thanks for your time. And, uh, mate, I've got to say, that was an epic adventure, if I must say so myself. Borders opening up. Are we going to get another one down the track, mate? Oh, mate, I'm hoping. I'm, I've both, both hands, fingers, toes, all crossed. Mate, I, I'm, I'm all crossed as well for one of those invites over to New Zealand catching kingfish. So when that happens, it's reciprocal, buddy. It's reciprocal. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> let's rock and roll. Hey, mate, um, catching wahoo, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly a lot of fun. I've been talking to a lot of guys who target these fish over the many years, and uh, I've been targeting them since I was a young fella. And I know that was a, a species for you that you've put on your bucket list and you tick that off dozens of times whilst away. Mate, um, yep. the good old-fashioned wahoo, the gear to use, a lot of people just troll overheads, but, I mean, you can you can really mix it up, can't you? Yeah, mate. Well, it really depends on how you choose to target them. Obviously, we had really great success with um, bibless lures and trolling and stuff like that, as well as a little bit of top water. Mm. But I tend to prefer using uh, spin reels, uh, and I know you also like to use the overhead. Yeah. Bit of both there. I mean, I, I like the, uh, you know, whether you're going like a Torium 30HG, if you want to keep it lightweight, whack it up with some, you know, Kariki braid, maybe 50 or 80 pound, uh, put it on a, a dual P4, anything like that would work really well. But then you can match it and go a bit bigger for like a TLD 20 or 25 on the blue water rod. So you, you've got that variety of, of heavier game gear to really light sport fishing gear. Is it the same scenario in the spin gear, do you find? Uh, I, I find... Again, you don't have to spend too much money. You can go middle of the way, something like a Saragossa 14, all the way up to the 20. We did notice that we found a lot of big yellowfin tuna around while we were targeting the Wahoo as well. So you yeah. don't want to have, you don't want to run out of line, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but some of the newer overhead models, like the Speedmaster, now comes in a size 12 to 25. Those are awesome as well. Big drags on those, 18 to 20 kilos. Uh, so you can definitely match those up with different overhead rods in the saltwater ranges. Yeah, it certainly makes a big difference, of course. And, um, you know, coming down to, to reels that have high retrieve is awesome when you're spinning for the for the uh, spin reels. And those Saragossas, mate, I've got to say, the Saragossa from the smallest reel that they bring out to the largest reel, they are the workhorse of spinning reels. And, mate, they are – and they're, they're affordable. They're a fantastic yeah. fishing reel. Yeah, value for money, you really can't go past them. They've got a lot of the technologies that the Stellar and the Twin Powers have. Again, mate, Nearly all of our charter uh, operators around the country are running these reels because they just last. 
They do. They do. I've had a 20,000 on a uh, a large Therese rod. I think it's like a 50 to 100 pound or something uh, rod. And, mate, that thing there, we have put it to the test. And I've even lent that out to other guys who have been out the reefs targeting, you know, 50 and 80 pound GTs. And they've been absolutely stretched. And want to get it back? Mate, it looks like, it's, yeah. it looks like it's, it's brand new again. And the drag's still smooth. It's not lumpy or bumpy, which is awesome. Uh, that's awesome. It's always good to hear uh, good stuff about those reels as well. And obviously with the range in sizes from 5,000 up to 25,000, you can cover so many different types of fishing and species. Absolutely. So the 25,000 is multi-use. It has a task that you can put it on the rod. And if you're going away up the Northern Territory or the Cape or anything like that during the middle of the wet season when it's absolutely ugly and bogged, is that you can put the 25,000 on the front of your bull bar. And <laughs> you, you, you can then... You could then run, right, a 100-pound-plus line. <laughs> and, uh, mate, yeah. I reckon you'd do okay. You'd be able to pull yourself out of any bog with that 25,000. It's big enough. <laughs> mate, it's a huge reel. But they uh, obviously they're, um, they're made for a certain situation. What would you use that size reel on? 25,000s are generally for your really large pelagic species. So uh, bluefin tuna, yellowfin tuna, that kind of thing. I guess if you're out there, even uh, stick baiting for the big yellows, is I know here off the Gold Coast, is we go out there, when we target our big yellowfin or even blue marlin, is I'll take out the Tiagra 80 wides, all that sort of stuff there. Um, even the 50s, I, I, the 50s would be fine, but we're after you know those bigger fish. And I find that um, if, you, if you're hitting those 150-plus pound yellowfin, is we've always got the Saragossa spilled up with a very, very large stick bait. So if you see the birds diving, the fish are starting to bounce out of the water, if you don't want to get too close and with a troll, is you just lay one of these casts out. And the cast, you can easily do 80 yards with a decent-sized yeah. lure. You know, you can get into the into the heart of the school and pull a fish, and you know that that reel is going to uh, to conquer it. It'll win. Yeah, I think with like if, it, if you've got about 65-pound power pro on there, you, you're getting well over 600 yards of line. So it, mm. it gives you that security, knowing that if you've got that big one, mm. you should be safe enough to get it back in. Mate, um, when it comes to belts, do you use a gimbal belt or do you use one of those um, cushets? What's the go? Uh, I actually use a, a gimbal. It's a fighting belt. It's one that Shimano does. It's actually really cheap. I think you pick one up for 40 bucks, but... You can go all the way up to those real fancy carbon fiber lock-in ones. They they can go anywhere up to around five hundred dollars. But yeah. for me, yeah, I just like a classic fighting belt, mate. Easy attach, strap on, and it gives you that support and doesn't smash the old fellas. No, that's exactly right, mate. And they're comfortable because you don't really know you've got it on. And also know on the side there, you can put your uh, your tools with it as well. So you can have your, your Shimano long nose pliers, and you, you get the hooks out of the fish. You can have side cutters. You can have everything attached to that belt. Um, Basically, if you do get onto a fish, particularly a wahoo, because these things are just a, a bone mouth with jagged bits of teeth cut into them. Uh, they're inc yeah. incredible fish. Uh, so to get the hooks out of those things, you, you're going to have to have pliers on hand straight away. You don't want to be rummaging through the, the gunwale of the boat trying to find your tools when they can be right on your belt. No, mate. With, with fish with teeth like that, you definitely <laughs> want to have access to, to an escape route very quickly. But I, I recall a, a fellow quite a few years ago, he gaffed a... Uh, a well, a really big wahoo, and he's pulled it into the boat, and as he's yanked it over the over the side deck, this thing, he slipped back, the fish has landed on him, and it's right up next to his throat, and it is chomping at him, and he's he's wrestled the fish and flicked it off. Very, I mean, that could have ended really dangerously. Oh, mate, that could have ended in disaster by the sounds of it. Yeah, it wasn't cool, but, you know, got the fish in the end. Pretty good eating quality, too. I don't mind eating the, uh, the good old wahoo, uh, particularly... 
a size of around that sort of 15 to 20 kilo mark. You know, they're they're great fish just to fill it up. You get to fill it as long as a, you know, three-meter flatty. Yeah, mate. I, will, I, I find them, they're similar to mackerel. I probably find them a little bit nicer to eat, uh, to eat a little bit sweeter as well. Mm. Uh, you definitely wouldn't throw them back. Oh, gosh, no. Mate, what about your drag settings? When, you, when you're targeting a fish of that size, now they, they're hitting really fast because they're one of the fastest fish on the ocean, is that when they yeah. hit at, you know, 40 to 60 kilometres an hour on that one burst, you've got to have a light drag or do you go a heavier drag? What would you do? Now, there, there is a couple of things that come into play with this, uh, like the line class that you're using, the size of the reel that you're using, uh, the model, whether it be spin or, bait, uh, or overhead. But as a general rule, one third is about the perfect mark. If you, and then you can sort of go uh, a little bit less or a little bit more, uh, depending on the swell and the wind and how fast you're actually traveling. Yeah, because if you're going with the swell obviously your boat picks up speed so you send you're generally going to be on the throttle because if it, as you come off the back of the swell your boat slows down and it can slow down a yeah. lot um maybe it's better to roll across the swell so you're running through the through the actual trough um do you troll into the sun or away from the sun it's a question i ask a lot of people yeah well it, it, that sort of comes down to the mark that i'm fishing if, if you if you are fishing along a dropper uh, ideally i'd like to go away from the sun so i can see yeah um but you're generally going to have to turn around and come back the other way anyway unless you're just going to continue off into the abyss yeah that's true because i noticed like with a, even with marlin is that if you have the sun behind the lure then the fish has the ability to actually strike and hit hard and and he'll stay connected whereas if it's the the sun and the fish's eyes uh, and in your eyes, of course, is it's hard yeah. for the fish to actually, he'll hit it, but there's that chance of a missed strike. And if he feels, yeah. me- if he feels metal, he's going to bugger off at 100 miles an hour the other way because it's foreign Correct. to him. So, you know, and that's a, it's a good thing to, to work out and obviously it does depend on the areas. Speaking of areas, ledges, current lines and all of that, that's where these fish are going to congregate around as well, aren't they? Yeah, so I generally look for that real clear blue water. You don't want it to be green. It's normally a lot lower in oxygen. So once you find that clear blue cobalt water, look for seamounts. It always pays to do your research in advance. Uh, Rises or nipples, as we call them, uh, offshore reefs, coral drop-offs, and current lines and fads. Fads are good. We've got a lot of fads coming in in Queensland where the uh, Queensland Fisheries and the state government's doing such a fantastic job of putting fads out. And, of course, this time of the year we see a lot of mahi-mahi or dolphin fish dorado, whatever you want to call them, uh, coming down the eastern yep. seaboard. And, and with those, you do get the wahoo trailing them as well. And, mate, they, I, I love the fads, and it's great because years ago many people would make their own fad and put it out. It became a bit of a boating hazard because you didn't know – you're out in the middle of the ocean, right? You don't want to run over someone's illegal fad and get rope caught around your propeller and next minute you're up the creek without a paddle, so to speak. So the other the other fads are good. You guys have got good fads off Sydney, haven't you? Yeah, they've been putting a, a lot in recently, uh, especially the artificial reef. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, fish aggravation devices are brilliant for bringing in the bait and obviously once you've got the bait, then those pelagic fish are going to come in. But I had a, a great session a couple of years ago finding some ship rope uh, out in the ocean. And uh, the ship rope was about probably 40 metres long. It was a large piece and it was floating on top and it had its own ecosystem. It literally had, from the smallest of bait you could imagine, there's weed all around the rope, as small as a bait, and then it just grew all the way through to marlin and even sharks. It was the perfect system that you could ever imagine. But the wahoo on this thing was intense. 
and it was all surface stick bait action. Uh, we trolled past it to start with and just got multiple hookups to the point where it was ridiculous that you'd just sit back and now and you'd just sit about 30, 40 metres off it and just cast out and just retrieve. And in the end, you didn't even have to cast near the rope. You could cast 80 feet away from the rope, 80 metres away from the rope, and the fish would still come in. There was that much action. Mate, I, I love finding things floating in the ocean. Have you ever found anything floating in the ocean at all there, Leroy? Mate, we've come across all sorts of things out yeah. at sea. Yeah. Um, strangest one probably was a portaloop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was anyone in it? <laughs> there was no one in it, thankfully. A portaloop. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. A big blue portaloop. Was it? Like, it must have been off a ship or something. Was anything on it? Was there any bait around it? Yeah, so by that stage, it obviously been going around for a while, uh, and it had it grown all this this weed off the bottom, and it had these beautiful bait fish just all in circulating around the bottom of it. And yeah, we picked up enough a couple of nice um, mahi mahi off it. Yeah, nice. What about triple tail? You ever caught one of those things? I've only ever seen one triple tail, and it was it was it was hanging off a bucket of all things. Correct. Up off yes. Your- yeah, so it was a bucket, it was floating upside down, and he was sitting sideways. He wasn't even sitting vertically. He was sitting sideways, and he was just hovering underneath it in the shadow. Uh, I was fishing with a good mate, Chris Henry, and we are on our way north trying to catch some GTs, but we had a few smaller rods. He, he threw a plastic at it. He came out, hit the tail, missed it, and um, we, that's the last one I've ever seen. Mate, we caught one off a bucket as well. Actually, my son did, Kalen. We are on the back of our jet ski out in the middle of the ocean. It was about a 70K day of, of travel. And we're out there, and we always carry spare fuel and everything. We came across a bucket. It was a, a fair dinkum, a white bucket, so much growth around. It had the little bait fish, but it had this larger fish you could see on it. We didn't get too close. And uh, he cast out a, a lure. I, don't know, I can't remember what it was. Maybe a squidgy. I don't know. But... He hooked it and he brought it in. It put up a terrific fight and it was a triple tail. It was probably 32, 35 centimetres long. It was actually a big one. And oh, I, awesome. Yeah, and um, they are great to eat, right? And I, I don't know much about the triple tails at all. And uh, my young fellow, because he's a YouTuber of just loving fishing, he knew all about this thing about they catch them off Florida. And he's going, Dad, it's a triple tail. I'm thinking, dude, it is, but I don't know anything about it. So we let him go next to the bucket and he, he just shot straight off into the bucket area and uh, and hung there and we, we drove away never to be seen again. Well, ah, beautiful. the fish yeah, never to be seen again. We were seen again, not the, not us, just the fish. Anyway, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> still, still here, unfortunately. Hey, uh, mate, um, speed, troll speed. Being a fast fish, we've talked about going fast and slow with current, with the swell or whatever. Optimum yep. speed, what do you find is best for a wahoo? Uh, it does depend on what lure you, you're trolling. Mm. Um, but I, I tend to find, depending on obviously the waves, uh, about that 7 to 15 knot range is ideal. So if you've got skirts and stuff, you can really hit up that high end. Uh, if you've got a, a larger bibless lure uh, with like a fast wobble, you can probably sort of around that 7 to 9 knot range. But everyone's a little bit different. Uh, you can catch them at all speeds, but you tend to get the, the bigger ones at those faster speeds. Absolutely. And they're, they're quite a, a fast fish, obviously, in, in the ocean. But the lure, those bibless lures, just they work so well, particularly if they've got a, a rattle in them as, as well. But also the stick baits that you guys have with your, um, with your bubble pops and all that, mate, those things are, are awesome. They work so well on catching these fish on the surface. Oh, and aren't those surface strikes something to watch? Mate, the bubble dip, that thing there, the, with the it's got the flash boost on it. 
Mate, that thing is yep. that's insane. It that just catches fish across the surface. So if you're on those seamounts you're, you're mentioning earlier, that's the prime place to be using one of these. As long as it's not in, you don't want to be in 400 meters of water and there's a seamount below you. That ain't gonna work. But you want a seamount yep. that comes up close to the surface where there's turbulent water and and eddies all sort of moving when the current's flowing, and that's a prime spot. Yeah, exactly. So that those those um. Um, what would you call them? Those currents push the bait up from the bottom and keep the, the fish in, in that sort of striking range of the surface. That's when uh, ocean head dips and sardine balls, bubble dips, all that sort of stuff with that flashing colour. looks like a stranded bait fish out on its own. Yeah. That's when they really come into their own. We used a, a bubble dip on some marlin recently as well. Is that um, these particular fish, we caught one on a fly. And we upped it and, and went to some surface stick bait sort of stuff and, and longer poppers. And uh, we noticed that the marlin, when they'd come in, they'd slice at the lure. And if you just left it alone, they'd come back and just eat it regardless. It was like they hit it and they, because of the, the flash boost within the lure, is that the fish would then turn around and think, man, okay, I've injured it. I, I need to eat it now. And mate, we're just getting hookups quite regularly. It was a fascinating thing to watch. It wasn't just a matter of bringing the lure all the way back to the boat. You get the strike and you just leave it alone, give it a little slight twitch to get the, the activate the, the boost inside and bang, straight on. It was quite a, an amazing sight. Yeah, they're very versatile lures in that regard. But Mar- obviously, as you know, Marlon used their, their beak to swipe and hit fish. Mm. Uh, and then that flashing boost system basically it looks like all the scales and stuff falling off or shimmering uh it's really awesome technology oh mate absolutely they're, they're, they're brilliant mate when it comes to uh, handling a fish with teeth what what's your recommendations on that because uh you know generally when you get these things back and as we did up off wreck reef 600 k's off the uh, queensland coastline middle of nowhere is that you were you know it, it's a sport fishing trip so we had to let all of our fish go um mate just explain the landing of, of a fish that you're going to release. I mean, it's a tough thing to do really, isn't it? Yeah. If you do have a gap and you generally, if you're handling big, large fish with teeth, you want to stay the other end. So you utilizing the leader and grabbing the tail to lift the fish slowly and safely into the boat is one way. Or if you have like a lip gap where you can just go through the bottom jaw, it doesn't hurt them too much at all. They swim away very happily as well. Yeah. And that's it. And just stay away from the pointy end. Always stay away from the pointy end and try not to drop it on your foot when you're holding it up. Oh, I want to talk about the uh, the mackerel, ex- oh, the sorry, the wahoo experience that we had up there off Wreck Reef, um, where people were saying, "Don't stick bait back to the boat." Ah, yeah. Why wouldn't you stick bait back to the boat, Leroy? No, I do recall a little situation, Paul. If you don't <laughs> mind me telling the story, go for it, mate. <laughs> I did explain to you not to bring the. the the lure fast all the way back to the boat in one retrieve because the, the fish may have just sighted it just before the boat and they tend to hit it so hard and so fast that they clear the water into the air and could strike or hit you or your friend or the boat. Now, that happened to us, didn't it, Paul? Yeah, it did, mate. It absolutely smacked us hard. This big fish, we were stick baiting back and this fish came up and it launched out of the water because we were so fascinated and how many strikes we were getting and we just wanted to get our lure back to the boat and flick it back out this thing launched out of the water and i'm sure i heard the words birdie you effing idiot (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that came out of uh someone's mouth leroy but as this fish was in the air and it's we've all looked up we had our cameraman jack on board and we're only in a small boat everyone not a big boat this tiny little boat and it's launched out 
and it's come down like a missile head first and got stuck between the back seat and the engine. <laughs> that was a big fish too. Like it was like a hundred pound, I reckon. This thing is a monster. <laughs> and it just it knocked itself out and like it damaged its beak, like its head. And it's just it it didn't fall over everybody. It sat perpendicular. It sat its head into the, like it wedged its head through the floor, which I'm amazed it didn't go through. And its tail, which was six feet higher, and it's just sort of just wobbling in the air. Like it was an amazing thing to see. And if it hit us, it wouldn't have ended well. Oh, it'd take your head off, wouldn't it? Especially a fish of that size. Oh, coming down, chomping on its teeth. My goodness. Yeah, so there's a bit of a secret as well. Definitely don't, or a teeth, I should say, is definitely don't wind your lures back to the boat. Mate, um, now they call the wahoo ono in Hawaii, which means fish good to eat, and that's exactly what they are, whether it's breadcrumbed or just pan-fried. Uh, eating quality, as I mentioned earlier, is a good sign, probably your size between that sort of 15, 18, 20, 22 kilo tops. Anything bigger than that, I, I don't know if I would eat one a larger fish than that. Uh, but the smaller ones are, are quite tasty at the same time. But, mate, well, look, we've run through the start of, of targeting, where to go, the, the gear, um, and all the way through to the eating at the end. It's been a lot of fun. And, of course, the Wahoo, mate, you can tick that off your bucket list. What's the next one for you there, Leroy? Oh, now that you mentioned triple tails, mate, you've kind of tickled my fancy. Mate, we need to get over to Florida. That's where the big ones are, and they get a lot of them. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, a lot, a lot harder to catch here. Yeah, they, they certainly are. Not as... Uh, not as uh, not as prolific as they would be over there. And, of course, the tarpon over there. That's probably a fish on my bucket list. I'd love to do the 100-pound tarpon on spin gear or fly or whatever. And they'd get them off the docks over there. And their fishing is just absolutely incredible. We've also got some pretty good fishing around our country as well. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. I'd love to get – I think in Nicaragua you can do it in a little float tube, go down the river. Fair dinkum. Catch 100-pound tarpon. That would be pretty cool. Wow. You know, when we did this marlin thing up off Fraser, I was telling you earlier about catching the marlin on the bubble dip, is that, mate, we were doing that, and I took up a stand-up paddleboard with me. It was an inflatable stand-up paddleboard. My my dream and goal for many years has been to get out there off Fraser and use this and target the marlin and do the stand-up paddle. I love stand-up paddleboard fishing. Caught a lot of different fish on it. I get yeah. up there, and I am so geared up, ready to go, and the first minute we've pulled up, the boat beside us, had a triple hookup of marlin. So I am what? stoked. I'm frothing. I'm thinking, great, this is awesome. We're on. Can't wait to do this. Within about 15 seconds of us arriving, watching these marlin, which were only about 15 to 20 kilos, dancing across the surface, a school of sharks the size of my boat rocked up and obliterated every one of the marlin. <laughs> Needless to say, at that moment of, of me pulling out my stand-up paddleboard, it was packing my stand-up paddleboard back into the cabin of the boat. It was not happening. Well, I get you. <laughs> the good old man in the grey suit. Hey, Leroy, thanks for your time today, mate. What do you got planned for uh, the rest of the week, mate? You got anything? Going fishing? What's your next adventure? Uh, me and a couple of the boys are hoping we might get a bit of a beach session in on the Jewies this weekend. Ah. Um, fingers crossed we get some nice weather. It's been a lot of rain, but we've got a beautiful sunny day here today, and I'm hoping it follows through. What sort of rig are you using on that, mate? Uh, we actually use squid. Uh, so I use a, a large beach rod, 12 foot. Yep. Uh, I use a good speed master that has whole heaps of line. We just try and find one of those deeper eddies uh, in the beach with a bit of wash yep. and uh, send out probably the, the best part of half of a squid try and get those bigger fish but yeah sometimes you end up with a ray and a, and a very long fight ahead <laughs> oh that sounds like fun mate good luck and uh i hope your rod bends off and down there mate and get amongst it as well thanks birdie 
Good on you, Thank mate. You Thanks for your time, Leroy. There you have it, everybody. It's another Step Outside podcast. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. And I'll tell you what, all about the Wahoo, it certainly is a lot of fun. And no matter what you're doing around this magnificent country of ours, enjoy the rest of your week and weekend. And, of course, you'll be able to uh, see us on our Step Outside show. If you missed today's episode, uh, you can check it out next Saturday. Okay, and that'll have Leroy again uh, catching the Wahoo on the Biblis Lures out on beautiful Wreck Reef. And then we'll be back in another couple of episodes of the new products that Shimano's bringing out with their spin gear. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take it easy. Ever since I was a young fella, I've always loved the outdoors with that sense of adventure calling. That adventure has become my life's passion that I love to share. Hey there, I'm Paul Burt. Come with me and let me share the experiences I've learned over the years along with some pretty cool tips and tricks as we step outside. Step outside.